Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone who's interested in growing sales. Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by the Criteria for Success Sales Growth Program. Are you looking to experience a breakthrough in your team's sales? Have you tried sales training in the past but were unable to make it stick? The Criteria for Success Sales Growth Program is a year-long engagement that combines sales and leadership training, a digital sales playbook, and a coaching and accountability process that will change your sales culture and drive sustained growth. Learn more at criteriaforsuccess.com. That's criteriaforsuccess.com. All throughout the month of February, we have been talking about collaboration, from the importance of collaboration to really specific best practices to improve collaboration. You can check out the blog for best practices, information, and advice for you and your team, which you can find at criteriaforsuccess.com blog. And you can also, while you're there, find other episodes of the podcast this month where we've talked about it. Um, and speaking of that, this episode of Let's Talk Sales is continuing our new for 2019 monthly series of training episodes where we share content from our Criteria for Success training curriculum. Um, Rebecca hosted the first one of these, which was episode 121. You can find that at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 121. Um, these are intense training episodes. Make sure you have a pen and some paper or uh, pull up your computer. Be ready to take some notes. The whole point of all of these episodes is to add value to our listeners. We're all about um, contributing to your growth and development. This is Elizabeth Frederick, Operations Officer and Senior Advisor. And with me today, I have our Director of Marketing, Rebecca Toomey. Hello! <laughs> all right, this should be a fun one. Um, you guys all know Rebecca. She is the host of most episodes of Let's Talk Sales. But in addition to her amazing podcast hosting abilities, Rebecca actually has years and years of experience as a salesperson and as a trainer, and she um, applies both of those skills here at Criteria for Success, as well as obviously all of her marketing. Um, so she is an excellent trainer. Thank and you. Then- the day this episode airs will be my 11th anniversary at Criteria for Success. So I have just a little bit of experience with training and development as well. A, she has a lot. <laughs> She's very modest. She has lots of experience here. And also, Elizabeth, congratulations on 11 years. Thank you. It uh, in some, some ways feels like it was, you know, started yesterday. And in other ways, I just feel like I've been here my entire life. So, um, <laughs> well, you practically have. You're very young. You yeah. spent <laughs> the majority of your life here. Maybe not the majority, but uh, a solid adult proportion. Life. Majority of adult life, I, I guess uh, you could say. So uh, we're going to apply all of that training experience. And today we are going to be sharing best practices for improving collaboration in business with a focus on sales. So um, I invite everybody who's listening to download this month's ebook, which is called Increase Collaboration Between Teams, From Sales to Sales, Sales to Marketing, and Beyond. You can grab your copy in our show notes, along with some other resources we'll be mentioning, which the notes for today's show are at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 129. And if you wanted to hear more about that ebook, be sure to check out episode 125, where I interviewed Rebecca about it. And I will include a link to that episode in today's show notes. So we're already going to have like three episodes <laughs> kind of linked in the show notes. It's going to be awesome. a fun process. Um, so uh, all that said, <laughs> let's jump in. As I mentioned, we'll be talking about collaboration in business. And specifically, our outline for today, we'll talk about how you can evaluate your team's current state of collaboration, how to drive collaboration within a single team focused on a sales team, but those principles are applicable to other teams as well, how to apply um, and drive collaboration between different teams, 
And then finally, how you can use a sales playbook to drive ongoing collaboration. So this is going to be a robust conversation about yeah, collaboration. Definitely. And here at CFS, we structure our training into two categories, philosophy and mechanics. Philosophy is the why. That's the principle behind something. And we all have to align on a philosophy um, in order to um, be uh, in order to be able to make change, in order to be able to implement something, you need to be on the same page for philosophy. But then the second half is critically important, and that's the mechanics. Mechanics are the how. And sometimes it's a good idea to align on very specific mechanics that you're holding people accountable to. And you're you're giving them um, a roadmap, a guide, and occasionally you will give very specific policies and procedures that people must follow, step A, B, C, D. Other times, you might align on a philosophy, but the mechanics can be just best practices that people can opt into or not. And so whenever we're providing training, we always want to make sure to set a foundation of a philosophy. That is a core principle that everybody needs to buy in on. Beyond that, we will recommend mechanics, and the specific way you apply those mechanics is going to be up to you. Um, Figure out what works within your organization, within your culture, um, but make sure to keep the philosophy in mind. Certainly. So we're going to start with some philosophy, um, and let's talk about why collaboration is important in business. Um, There's a great stat that we uh, got from Salesforce. 86% of employees and executives cite lack of collaboration or ineffective communication for workplace failures. So when things go wrong, and they kind of figure out what are the reasons that things went wrong, 86% of the time... It's about collaboration and communication. We've all seen that happen, right? Definitely. Where you launched a product and it just crashed and burned. And then you realize we should have gotten people, uh, we should have gotten information from our existing customers to figure out what they were looking for in a product. Maybe the sales team would have had some good input. Maybe the marketing team, the product team was working on it on their own and they missed the boat. Or we set goals for the sales team and we fell wildly short. And we should have collaborated with the sales team to develop goals that were possible and applicable. So Definitely. Um, 86% of the time, um, you know, you, you need to improve your collaboration um, to avoid those workplace failures. Definitely. And we talked about this in episode 125 that, you know, ineffective communication in addition to collaboration, which communication is part of the way that you're able to communicate with each other. We talked about how we think about effective communication in our personal relationships but mm-hmm. we don't think about it often in our business relationships and this is such an important factor when it comes to collaborating is being able to effectively communicate with your team and make sure that everyone is on that same page and I've got another stat here from McKinsey that says that 97% of employees and executives believe that lack of alignment within a team impacts the outcome of a task or project. That's a big number. 97%. 97%. So essentially everyone believes that lack of alignment impacts the outcome. I wonder about that weird 3%. Um, (laughs) They're just like, whatever, I'm taking the survey. (laughs) Definitely. Um, And we saw similar information in a Stanford study. This is a few years old. And they actually found that just the idea of collective work can actually improve performance. So when they were able to prime participants in the project to act in a collaborative way, they were able to stick to a task significantly longer than people who didn't have that priming, 64% longer. Wow. And they, when they did a survey afterwards, they found out that they had less fatigue, they had a higher success rate, and they felt a higher level of engagement. That 
effect persisted for weeks beyond this initial um, project. So if you set a culture of collaboration, if you can set a tone for collaboration, it's not something that you will always have to be reinforcing on an ongoing basis. You can set that context and it will maintain throughout people's work. You still want to be providing ongoing spaces for collaboration, in implementing collaboration, including it in your processes. But the effect actually persists once people go back and they're working on their own. They still feel that higher sense of engagement, that higher sense of teamwork. Um, they're able to work on things more effectively. You think back to applying things in your personal life. We so often see this when people are thinking about exercise. Um, oh, you could absolutely. run by yourself right? And you might go however long you go. I am not a runner. Maybe you go a mile, two miles. Uh, and a lot of times people find that to be more exhausting, more stressful than if you go with a friend. And just yeah. having somebody with you, feeling like you're part of it, doing something together, um, that actually can make it feel like you're not running as far. Uh, it can make you feel uh, more just uh, energized and more enthusiastic about it. It also, really bluntly, if I was said that I'm going to go running by myself and wake up early in the morning, uh, I might not do it. Yeah. <laughs> it's easy yeah. to just not just do something if it's on yourself, yeah. on your own. But if I made an arrangement that I'm going to meet Rebecca at six o'clock in the morning to go running, which I will never do ever, <laughs> ever, ever, can promise that. If uh, you know another person who is a runner uh, made that made that arrangement, you're not as likely to skip out because you have somebody else counting on you. Definitely. And so one of the one great purpose of collaboration is just providing a level of accountability. Because if you say you're going to work together on something, you both have to do it. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it's funny, while you while you were talking about that, it made me think about the racetrack, because, you know, that's what I think about in my spare time. <laughs> um, for those of you that don't know, I love to ride motorcycles on the racetrack, sport bikes, in case you were wondering. Rebecca is our adrenaline junkie. <laughs> I'm the crazy one here. But, um, you know, racing is an, in, an individual sport, right? You're You have a team if you... If, if you have money, you have a team <laughs> in your pits that's working on your bike and doing that kind of stuff. But when you're out there riding, it's just you and your machine racing against other people. But you know what the funniest thing about that is? Mm. Is that it takes working with other people to get faster. So if yeah. I wanted to get faster, I would go to somebody who's faster than me and say, can you tell me around the track and show me where you're you know, I'm collaborating with other racers and other yeah. riders to get faster. And I think that this applies a lot to salespeople because we think I'm running my own race. This is my own solo deal. I'm selling. I'm just trying to make money for myself and for my family. But guess what? You have other people on your team that can help to get you there. And that's such a great example, too, because um, some people might think, well, you're, they're your competitor. Why would they help you? Yeah. But you know what? Um, if they help you with something, you might be able to help them with something else. Definitely. And it's really important to understand. Um, we see this so often in sales. People think, um, you know, sales is competitive. My salespeople, I want to pit them against each other. That doesn't mean that they can't collaborate as well. You can still have a competitive sales team. Um, we would encourage healthy competition and not, um, you know, unhealthy competition. You don't want people um, feeling like they're working against each other. They almost want to damage or, or, you know, somehow sabotage other people on the team. That's not going to serve your customers well. Um, you're going to end up with burnout. You're going to end up with resentment. Um, that's not a good practice. But having some healthy competition can't hurt, you know, things like just a leaderboard that shows how people are doing, some insight into other people's practices. People think, okay, they've got that competition. Why are they going to collaborate? Um, any mature person understands that 
by collaborating, you are going to learn something. You're going to gain something. It's never about I'm sharing my secret sauce. I'm sharing my best practices and I'm not getting anything. First of all, when you share, that creates space for you to learn. Mm -hmm. And when you start these sharing conversations, um, things will occur to you. Even if you don't have a structured way, um, you're not planning on learning something. Sometimes it just comes up. Definitely. And so it's incredibly powerful to create that, that culture of collaboration. And it is something you can do even with um, competition. Well, I've got another study here uh -huh. to essentially confirm what you're saying. And it is uh, it was done for the corporate productivity team, Rob Cross and Edward Madden. He was a professor at Global the global business at Babson College. Anyway, the study essentially found that companies that promoted collaborative working were five times as likely to be high performing. And they examined over 1,100 companies to get to this point. So five times more likely to be high performing when they were promoting collaborative working environments. So that's interesting. Yeah, and then when you think about that, and I, I don't want to transition too early from philosophy to mechanics, um, think about what are ways that you can, just those words, promoted collaborative working. There are all different ways you can do that. You know, is it creating workspaces where people can get into a small conference room and work together with some quiet and privacy? Is it like literally things like whiteboards and flip charts that can drive collaborative conversations? You can actually architect your workspace to promote collaboration. Whereas if everybody's in a cubicle or they're all in an open plan and, and nobody can hear themselves think, <laughs> you might be stifling collaboration. Definitely. So there's a lot of different ways to approach it. And that's how I want to. Yeah, I actually think that that's worth about talking it. about, Elizabeth, because we're in New York. I know a lot of the people listening in are, are also in New York or in another major city. And if you're not, you know, maybe this might not apply to you, but we run into this a lot where people are having a, lot, a hard time collaborating because of the work environment that they're in. Absolutely. And it's hilarious because they made these open spaces with the intention that people would collaborate more and it actually has caused the opposite to happen. Absolutely. That because they're open, people are unable to focus on what they need to get done and it makes it, makes it even harder. If you run a Google search on this about open workspaces, you will see a thousand gajillion million studies about this. About <laughs> that's how a, that's the work. exact number, a thousand gajillion million. <laughs> a thousand million gajillion trillion. <laughs> <laughs> but it talks about how, all of these articles talk about how, you know, we're human, you, we're human beings and we need to have some peace and quiet to get things done. But of course you need to actually be with people to collaborate. So it's about finding the balance and yes. every team is different. That's not to say that you know, there's a lot of companies out there that I'm sure are open plan and it's fine and people don't have issue. Yeah. Um, but if you are finding that people are having problems with this kind of thing or it's actually making them kind of resentful about collaborating because they feel like, well, I'm sitting right next to them all day. I can hear them chewing. What do I need another <laughs> moment? You know, that's something to to address. Definitely. And there are there are solutions that are not build a bunch of walls in your office. Exactly. Um, and so definitely something to think about. Just something to consider when you're thinking about creating a collaborative culture is how, how is my office space planned out? Is, is this contributing to the lack of collaboration? Yes. Or is it adding to it and is it working? Definitely. So we've kind of pivoted into the next topic. Um, so we've, I think we've established the why of collaboration in business. Those are some um, great studies by really trusted organizations that are just proving that collaboration drives success. Um, so let's talk about the how. <laughs> so if you want to improve collaboration in your company, you really first need to understand where you're starting from. And one of the best ways to do this is to survey your team. 
That's one of the reasons we start our sales growth programs with an exploration survey. So when you're implementing a collaboration survey, you'll want to evaluate the following areas. First of all, think about how does the team evaluate the organization's commitment to collaboration? Do they think that it's a part of your values? Do they see it as part of the organization's philosophy and approach? Um, is it something that they think that leadership is bought into? Um, is it something that they think that uh, back to workspace, do they think that the space is set up to drive collaboration? What's their overall perspective on the organization's commitment to collaboration? Think of some questions around that in your survey. Absolutely. Another one to add in there is, do people feel like they are siloed? Do your employees feel that they're in a box, that I'm stuck in this you know, group or this activity and I'm doing exactly this and I'm doing what I need to do and there's no room for me to collaborate with other people or other teams. Yeah. Um, are, you know, are there channels of communication? Is marketing in a different location or, you know, I'm not allowed to talk to them <laughs> sort of thing? Mm -hmm. um, definitely. Um, another area to look at is how do incentives align with your desire to drive collaboration? Um, this kind of goes back to that conversation about competition, um, but think of your incentive structure. Is it, are you incenting any way um, to drive collaboration? You know, you could think about using um, tools like um, MBOs, which is management by objective, where you set goals for people specifically related to collaboration and teamwork. Um, and that will help you have an incentive structure that actually drives collaboration. That is a good idea, Elizabeth. And I'd also like to throw in here for you guys a little example so you know what that means. We here within our organization internally, use MBOs and we cross our MBOs over with each other to ensure that we're collaborating on things. And honestly, it makes those projects so much better because you have more input, more mm -hmm. ideas. It's not created in a silo or in a box or in a from one person's brain. Other people are contributing to it and it develops further. So an example of that would be if you are working on creating a sales demo, let's say you're creating a video demo of a product that you're selling, having someone from marketing work with someone from sales on that project yeah. is going to make it so much stronger if you than if you just had a marketing person create it or if you just had a salesperson with no, you know, visual graphic design <laughs> experience creating something. So Things like that, making sure that you're incentivizing both people for working together on that project and getting it done. Absolutely. So apologies to any of our listeners who might be hearing some banging and clanging in the background. <laughs> that is, is so our fun. modern New York City building um, heating system coming on. I think that they said that this heating system has been here since the 1920s or something like yeah. that. So it's been here for a while. <laughs> it still works. It's just not quiet. It bangs um, and clangs. <laughs> yeah. So we've been talking MBOs, and um, we will include a link in the show notes. We wrote an entire ebook about how to implement MBOs. Absolutely. Again, this is just where you're evaluating. But ask some questions about do people feel like their incentives um, align with that desire to drive collaboration? Definitely. And now the next area to evaluate are tools. Mm -hmm. What tools would help to drive collaboration. You know, think about things like Slack, allowing people to communicate with each other from anywhere, or a chat or a forum, go to meeting, other video chat platforms. What technology systems do you have in place to encourage collaboration and make sure that people feel like they can speak to somebody at any time from anywhere? I know um, I have a good friend who works in marketing in a very specific piece of marketing. Her entire team 
is in another state. She's the only person doing what she's doing in New York and everyone else is in another state. So making sure that her, her manager, her leaders have these things in place so that they can communicate throughout the day to make sure she knows what she needs to be doing from her end, what they're doing on their end, you know, just make sure that you have the right tools in place. Definitely. Um, we have one client that has a program called Blue Jeans, and that's the only time I've ever actually seen a company using it. I don't know how big um, the platform is. This isn't an ad for that, but they have screens in all of their conference rooms and in all of their key leaders' offices. And so when they're doing um, like a a video conference, they're on video. They're actually on camera all the time. And it's amazing the difference you get in collaboration when you can see people, um, their faces, instead of just looking at a screen. Absolutely. So that does make little a huge things like that. difference. Yep. So the next thing you want to evaluate in your survey is do employees feel comfortable sharing their ideas? Do they feel like they're able to share with um, with managers, with bosses, with other teams? Um, are there paths that you've created where, let's say, a salesperson has an idea for marketing? Is it possible for that information to actually get to marketing? Or are there barriers that are in the way that are blocking it off? Definitely. And I would totally say too, the last area that we want to jump into here is, do employees have a way to provide negative feedback and constructive criticism? Because mm -hmm. that's something that we often don't think about. But if the, your employees are having problems and they don't have a way to vent it out or a way to pass that along to man their manager or to the above, it's just going to continue to fester mm -hmm. and fuel. And so it's important to make sure that you have that portal, but also, you know, putting out an anonymous survey is one way that you can do this to get that honest feedback. So if you want to, you're going to hear positive and negative when you put out surveys like that, just remember that negative feedback has two positive elements. And the first part is that that person was comfortable enough providing that feedback to you. So that is a good step that they felt comfortable doing. Yeah, it. that's a really good indicator. Exactly. And now that you know what's working, now you have an opportunity to improve and make it better. So make sure that when you get that feedback, don't let it sit and do nothing with it. You've yeah. got to do something with it. And don't feel like it's an attack. Don't feel like indicted by it. It's just an opportunity to learn from and, um, Absolutely. and drive improvement. You know, speaking of that, I wanted to, to just share something here that really helps me a lot. I recently did a leadership circle assessment a couple of months back for the Vistage Emerging Leaders program that I'm in. And it talks about some negative traits. A lot of your, it's basically a self-awareness assessment. And it points out some of your negative traits. But it doesn't say, these are your negative traits, this is bad, this is negative. Even though when you see words like critical and arrogance, you <laughs> see it and you're like, oh my gosh, my level is, this is where I'm at, this is a problem. But what it explains is that they're, they're not problems, they are talents that are overextended. Yeah. And so that is how I'd really encourage you to think about this. It's not that it's a unsolvable problem. It, as Elizabeth mentioned, it's an opportunity for you to, to take a look at something. It's just overextended a little bit and we've got to rein <laughs> it back in. <laughs> Definitely. All right, so once you have a good picture of the current state of your collaboration culture, you might realize that there are specific teams that are struggling the most. Mm -hmm. So one team where we often do find low levels of collaboration is the sales team. This is so incredibly frustrating. As we've said, one of the greatest strengths of having a sales team, especially if you've got kind of a mid to large size team, and when I say that, I don't mean like hundreds of people. A mid-sized team can be 10 people plus, right? Um, you have an ability to collaborate and support each other. 
there are a lot of organizations, you need to understand this, that have one to three salespeople. Mm-hmm. And it's really difficult to actually have collaboration. First of all, it's impossible when you have just one person. So think of the power of collaboration that's available when you have a decent sized sales team. Mm-hmm. So here are some ways to drive collaboration within your sales team. And again, you can use very similar approaches within other teams as well. Sure. So I'll jump in with the first. And the first is that it's so important to make time in your sales meetings for your team members to share their challenges and brainstorm with their peers, with each other, rather than going through the full pipeline of what's going on in your sales team. Never, ever, 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 ever do that. Uh, So I do those exploration surveys. I interview people. Um, It is amazing how many sales organizations literally go around the table and every single person shares their entire pipeline. Everyone else around the table is bored out of their mind. Please don't do that. Sorry to interrupt. I had to jump in. (laughs) It's okay. So yes, don't do that. Instead, ask your reps to come to the meeting with one challenge to brainstorm. This can be something like an objection that got them in a bad place they didn't know the answer to, a struggle with radio silence, an inability to engage a target account. You know, any of these things, something that they are struggling with or a problem, and then allow your team to really work together to help them solve this Mm -hmm. problem. You never know. I mean, there have been times that I've brought problems and issues to the table to my team and immediately they've gone, well, did you try this or how about this or how about this? And first of all, it's amazing if you're the person with the problem that you just feel that sense of relief that something is getting solved. But then, you know, also it's very empowering for the other people that are in the group that they got to help solve your problems. And re- you, everyone is benefiting from this, the feelings that everyone is getting out of this. Definitely. Um, the second idea for driving collaboration within a single team is to provide regular training. This is going to provide multiple benefits. First of all, as the team is participating in hopefully some live training events as well as some webinars, they'll be getting to know each other better as a team. Um, You want to make sure that any training that you do includes role practice, includes exercises, team activities. Really get the team to um, talk to each other. Uh, It's so amazing to us how many times we'll get a team at one of our clients together to do a sales training and they will have never met each other even (laughs) though they've worked together for years. So that's a first step. Secondly, the team is going to begin to share a common language and tools. This provides a foundation for collaboration. It's really hard to collaborate with somebody if their process is just completely opposite yours. You're comparing apples and oranges. You can't learn from each other all that effectively. But if you share the same foundation and each have a slightly different style, you're better positioned to share best practices because, again, it's something that you can probably apply. If somebody's wildly different from you, it's a little harder for you to translate. Definitely. And the third place that we recommend to grow collaboration is identifying projects to work on as a team. As we mentioned earlier with the example about sales and marketing working together on a demo of a product, if you want to include improve collaboration, it's important that you create the space for it. So identify sales growth projects that the team can participate in together. An example is something like you might want to improve your CRM system. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's not working. People aren't using it the right way. There are some problems with it. So get your sales team involved. You want to, again, use surveys and interviews to get everyone's feedback and their input. But definitely don't underestimate the value of getting a few sales reps involved in the full process. I can speak to this from 
personal experience, because I actually did this myself um, when I worked for a property damage restoration company back in Florida, my oldest brother is a programmer. Mm-hmm. And he had this brilliant, absolutely brilliant idea to build a CRM system for that industry because there wasn't one. There wasn't one that existed. There were very generic CRM systems. But the way that you sell in that industry is so different than any other industry. And honestly, there's some crossovers now mm-hmm. that he's noticed. But it's since it's a service-based business, you have multiple levels of relationships and multiple channels. And that... we. People just weren't able to find a solution within mm-hmm. a generic CRM system like, you know, a Salesforce or something like that. It just wasn't working. So he said, I'm going to create one for this industry. And it was amazing as a salesperson working in the industry to sit down with the developer and say, you know what? I want it to look like this. I would love it if we could do A, B, C, D, if we could make this color coordinated, if we can have routes on this page, we can do this here. Working directly with him helped empower me and it helped drive me to want to make this thing the best thing that it could be. Yeah. And also I was using it. So it was a functional, it wasn't just somebody that goes, all right, I'm going to do it like this and it'll work. Yep. Absolutely. And like you said, that probably made you a champion among the whole rest of the team to say like, use this. I know it works. You know, we tested it. Yeah. Everybody wanted to be a part of that to, you know, to be honest, like everybody was really excited and jazzed about it. And I wasn't the only one. I worked with him on it from just the sales and marketing perspective. But then the guys that were out in the field, our field, our field guys, they were they were working on it from a different capacity. You know, the project managers, the construction team, all these different teams had their input. Yeah. And it just made this system awesome for the whole company, which was really cool. So anyway, and another idea, and alternatively, you might want to also build out some core sales tools like a problem opportunity matrix, a list of common objections and responses, or a collection of email templates. These are all ways for your sales team to communicate and collaborate together. So if you get your team to work together to build out one of these tools, first of all, you're going to end up with better content Mm -hmm. and of course more buy-in. Since the sales tools should always be by the team and for the team, by them working together, it really truly is that. And I mentioned a couple of things here. You probably were like, what is a problem opportunity matrix? That's <laughs> a very weird thing. I've never heard that before. It's a unique a tool that's unique to CFS. It's one of the pieces from our own curriculum and we're sharing it with you today. But we actually uh, have an ebook that explains exactly what a problem opportunity matrix is and how to use it. And it is in our ebook that is called Sales and Marketing Alignment. And we'll include a link for that in the show notes. <laughs> there you go. We also have an ebook on handling objections, and we have an email on an email, an ebook on email templates. And these are some of our winning templates that we've worked with. Now, granted, these are not all of the templates because what we have found that works for us might not work for other people. And that's why your team should collaborate to improve them and um, make them a fit for your organization. Absolutely. So I will include a link to all of those eBooks in the notes for today's show again, which you can find at criteriaforsuccesscom slash pod one, two, nine. All right. We've been talking about improving collaboration within a single team, but even more important is collaboration between teams. So for example, sales and marketing need to work together on things like messaging content development, lead processes. We often find that they're in silos. 
Um, at the other end of the process, we often hear from implementation or delivery teams that they feel like the sales team is closing them out until the deal is closed. And then they kind of throw it to them and they're like, what on earth did you sell? <laughs> so, I love those. That's the yeah, most fun. He threw it over the fence and we're like, what on earth? So here are some ideas for how to improve collaboration between teams. All right. First, get marketing and implementation involved in sales team meetings. Make sure everyone is aligned, they know what's going on, and they are not going to get thrown any of these crazy deals. Definitely. Um, one great thing we've seen many of our clients do is create open hours that a department will have to say like marketing is available from two to three on every Tuesday or every second Tuesday of the month. And that's time for the sales team to come in and ask questions and contribute. Definitely. A third idea is work together to document an opportunity handoff process and checklists to make sure that implementation has all the information that they need. So it's not a problem down the road. Definitely. Um, Another idea is to create a cross-functional team that has representation from all the different stakeholder groups who are invested in sales growth and collaboration. You can then use that team to implement various projects. Um, and if that team is consistent, they're already formed, they're all contributing and collaborating together. Absolutely. And then make sure to get other teams involved in sales training and vice versa. Have the sales team involved in other training. We say this all the time when people are sitting down when our clients are sitting down with us in that first initial planning meeting they're like all right so our sales team will come to training we say bring everyone definitely marketing ops customer success all of it get everyone involved in that process collaborating together yeah more ideas for that are also in that marketing and sales alignment ebook that rebecca just mentioned definitely. So last question, our sales, our Calavia sales playbook is all about collaboration. The name Calavia actually means the way to collaborate. It's kind That's of a right. made up It's a word. combination of the words collaborate and, and via. via, which is the way to collaborate. People ask us about this all the time. They're like, this name is weird. We're like, no, it's not. It's awesome. It <laughs> is the combination of the words collaborate and via the way to collaborate. It's its yep. own word. We invented a word. Definitely. <laughs> I, I feel so... Powerful. As an English major, <laughs> this is a big deal. I got to make up a word. <laughs> yes. So let's talk about how you can actually use a sales playbook to drive collaboration. We've got some ideas for you. First of all, I was just talking about creating a cross-functional team. Make sure that when you build your playbook, you use a cross-functional group to build the playbook. Yes. They'll have different ideas about what content to include. They'll think of here are all the questions and requests I get from the sales team. I should put that in the playbook. Um, then on an ongoing basis, make sure that you use a cross-functional group, it could be the same people or a different group, that are going to review what's working, what's not working, and plan improvements. You don't want to just hear from one team. We hear a lot of times that there's just one team that manages that, and they don't get the perspectives of other groups. Absolutely. And then finally, make sure that you're working together to build out core sales tools. Like Rebecca was just talking about earlier, when you're building out a problem opportunity matrix or email templates. Sometimes you want to just do that within the sales team, but even better, get the marketing team, the product team, other groups involved, and they're going to end up building out better content. Not quite lastly, because I've actually got three more, Elizabeth. Okay. Three more <laughs> ways to use your sales playbook to drive collaboration. Um, the next would be to use your forums and comments for feedback and discussion. Within the Calavia sales, sales playbook platform, we have that built in, that there's a forum section and it really drives engagement. It's awesome. You can use it for lots of, there's lots of different ways to use it for this 
capacity, but I won't get into those. Download the ebook on how to build a sales playbook <laughs> and to learn Definitely. <laughs> and then, of course, you can also use your playbook for ongoing training. This is the perfect place to insert videos, video mm-hmm. training, um, you know, additional content. If you run across articles, that is the place to do it. And then the last recommendation is to document how different teams work with each other and subject matter experts and things of that nature. Yeah, having that list, if you have this kind of question, here's who you, who you call. If you need this information from marketing, here's the process. Um, it's so incredibly important to just document your processes for collaboration within the playbook itself. Definitely. So this has been uh, quite the robust <laughs> conversation. I actually participate in um, and help facilitate most of our training events. We usually do one-day trainings, two-day trainings. Last month, I did a three-day training. And I can tell you, people usually leave the training, no matter the length. You can just see it in their eyes. They're exhausted. Their brains are just sponges that are just filled to capacity. They're overly full of all these new ideas and breakthroughs. I imagine our listeners are probably feeling the same. What do you think, Rebecca? (laughs) Yeah, probably. They're like, this is a lot. I'm overwhelmed. (laughs) Definitely. So thank you, everybody, so much for listening to Let's Talk Sales. You can find the notes for today's show and resources for everything we've been talking about today at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 129. So if you were trying to take notes but fell behind because we were just throwing too much at you, check out those show notes. And also check out Elizabeth's blogs this month because I am sure she will be giving you some of this information in her blog articles. Definitely. All right. Well, make sure to tune in next week where Rebecca will be interviewing Dr. Chris Crawford. He is a business consultant turned business and entrepreneurship professor at Rutgers University in the Rutgers Business School. Um, And in the meantime, you'll want to stay tuned for this Friday's inspiration where you're going to be hearing from Charles. Beginning next month, we'll be writing about communication and behavior styles and how you can use that to drive self-awareness as well as an understanding of other people. And we're writing about that on the CFS blog. You can check that out at criteriaforsuccess.com slash blog. And we will also be sharing a brand new ebook. Very excited about that one. If you're enjoying the show, please recommend us to a friend and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you are finding your podcasts and listening to us right now. (laughs) While you're there, please leave us a rating or a review. This will help more people find the show and it lets us know what's working and where we have room to improve. And remember, you can follow us on Twitter at let's underscore talk underscore sales. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success and is produced by Rebecca Toomey, Ariana Miskell, and me, Elizabeth Frederick. Happy selling!